0: We at First Church welcome those here this morning, guests of our graduates and those listening on the radio. For our graduates, we wish them all the best and send them out with all our love to success and happiness in the next steps that the Lord puts before them. And to our grads, one request, don't forget about us back here in New Knoxville. Come back and see us once in a while. We actually do enjoy you guys. With this being Memorial Day, Weekend, We remember the many soldiers that fought to preserve our freedoms that we enjoy today. Don't forget to register for Vacation Bible School. Forms are available at the doors in Sunday School. And you can also register online at our website at firstchurchnk.org. There's a list of craft items needed in the bulletin. Take a look at that and any items you can donate can be placed in the box in the Heritage Room. And I believe Tori has a word to share with us about VBS.
1: Good morning. So VBS is two weeks from tomorrow. It's crazy how fast the time has come. Um, but we are still in need of a couple areas. We are in need of a fourth grade teacher still. So if you are interested, the fourth grade class is fun. They are exciting, and VBS I mean, I have to say this because it's my job, and I love VBS, but I really do love VBS. It's the best week of the summer. Um, so if you are interested in helping and um, in teaching in fourth grade, we would love to have you. So see me after the service or give me a call, whatever. Also, another awesome perk of VBS is all of the cookies that you guys bake. They are delicious, and it's my favorite area to go visit um, and snag a, a cookie or two. Um, but if you guys are willing and able, we would love for you guys to bake for VBS again. Uh, you can start dropping those off the week before. Um, and either in the ministry center oops, or in the church, um, and we will get them where they need to go. Um, if you are a teacher or a helper, uh, there is a VBS meeting scheduled for Monday, June 3rd at 6.30 p.m. in the ministry center. So hope to see you all there, and if you'd like to help out in any way, let me know. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Tori. One of the highlights of the year is the Vacation Bible School coming to, to our community. Uh, Would you please rise and join me in the call to worship? The call to worship is taken from Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have a confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings Hymn number 283, We Are God's People.
2: You may be seated.
1: At this time we are going to recognize our graduates. Uh, there is a list of their names and where they are headed in the bulletin, as, lo- as well as our college graduates, as well. So we invite you to take a look at that. Um, but right now we're going to call our high school graduates forward. So when you hear your name, come on up and we have a gift for you and a card. So, Catherine. Zach Cook, Tori Lammers, Tasia, Cassandra, Hannah, Lauren, Alicia, Jared, and Taylor. Well, congratulations, guys. We are so proud of you. Uh, each year it gets a little bit harder to say goodbye to you because uh, when I first got here, you guys were the freshman class. Um, and so when I got here, I arrived and I met a couple of you all, and I figured, you know what, if this place is as good as these students, I'm going to be okay. Um, But it has been a true joy to watch you guys grow and to see you guys grow in your relationship with Christ, to get to know you guys, Um, and I am just so proud of the young women that you have become, Um, and I've seen you guys use your God-given talents and gifts in so many ways and step out in faith in many ways, uh, both here at church, but also at school and in your extracurricular activities. Um, So I don't have all the time in the world today, but I do want to leave you guys with a few things um, as you guys get ready to go on your next adventure. Um, So the first one is Keep God at the center of your life. Uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. So you guys are going to go to so many new places and do a bunch of new things. Um, and it's really easy in college to get distracted, to experience what we like to call spiritual drift. And so my hope and my prayer for you is that you continually set your minds and your hearts on Christ in all that you do, no matter where life takes you. Um, And I want to challenge you guys to do that every single day. And the second thing I want to leave you with is surround yourself with friends. Many of you have heard me say this before at youth group, uh, but a pastor at my old church used to say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Finding a community, community of believers is not easy, um, and especially in college, it's not easy as well. Um, but my prayer for all of you is that you surround yourself with people who love you, who support you, who are praying for you and encouraging you. Romans 12, 5 says, so in Christ, though we many form one body, each member belongs to all of the others. So God created you for community. He created you guys to be in relationships with other people. And so my challenge is that you find those people to connect with, find a community to belong to, find faith-based communities on campus. They're there. You just have to look for them. Um, And finally, you guys have all of the tools you need to grow in your relationship with Christ post high school. Even though we are very sad to be losing you, my prayer for all of you is that you grow in your love in your knowledge and in your relationship with Christ as you pursue new adventures and paths in life. And above all else, I pray that you never forget how high and how wide and deep and high is the love that God has for each of you. Know that we will miss you immensely, um, but we are so excited to see where God has you um, and excited for your journey. And so we love you, we're praying for you, and we can't wait to see what God has. So congratulations.
2: Thanks, Tori. We'd like to take a moment and Pray for you as well. Um, so any of our current elders that are here with us this morning are able to come forward. I invite you to come forward at this time. Uh, we want to pray for you now, but not just now either. We want to continue to pray for you. So I invite you as a church to, uh, to keep them in your prayers, not just on graduation Sunday, but throughout the summer as they prepare for what God has in store for them this fall and as they begin their journey, uh, whether that be school or the workforce or the military, whatever God has in store for them, continue to lift them up in prayers. Uh, as we will be doing this morning. And so at this time, I want to invite you to pray with me, and any of our elders are going to lay hands on them, and and we will pray uh, with our graduates and for our graduates together. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for each one of these graduates that are with us this morning. We thank you for bringing them to this point and for the gift of knowledge and experience that school brings. Graduation represents a major change in these students' lives. Some may be going off to college, the military, or the workforce. Change is coming, Lord, but that you are the God who never changes. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we ask that you would guide them through graduation and into the next stage of life. We ask for your blessing on them and the schools they represent. May you continue to prepare them for life's challenges and the knowledge that you will always be with them wherever they go. May they keep you at the center of their lives. And we ask this all in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen. Congratulations, everyone. At this time, we'd like to invite you to stand and greet your neighbors. As the children come forward for children's chat. And actually, you guys. Marie asked if you would.
3: Morning. Morning. Now, Wait. There are a few more extra up here this morning. I think we can be a little bit louder. I know some of us partied last night, but we had a lot to celebrate. So, good morning. Good morning. All right. For those of you on the radio, I uh, encourage my graduates to stay up front this morning, maybe because they're one of my more favorite graduating classes. <clears throat> so, um, this morning, what does it mean to graduate have you ever graduated? Yeah. Not yet. <clears throat> you graduated? Where did you graduate from? Pre-K. Pre-K. You did, didn't you? Did you graduate from preschool? Yes, you did. Did you graduate from preschool? Yes, you did. Reagan, did you graduate from preschool? Yes, you did. And the rest of you guys, a couple of you guys will graduate next year from preschool, right? I Yeah. <clears throat> All right, so I have a question. Just because you graduate, does that mean you're done learning? No, we're not done learning yet? Well, in Proverbs 1, five it says, Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Okay? So if we're wise, we continue to learn all the time. And that's what they say. It's important to learn something new every day. Okay? <clears throat> now, today I found... Some quotes about graduation. Okay? And these quotes were written in Latin, and I never took Latin, so I'm not going to read them in Latin. I'm going to read them in English. Okay? Are you ready? The first one says, A teacher is the only person who talks in someone else's sleep. How does a teacher talk in your sleep? Because all those math problems get in your head. Because all those math problems get in your head? <laughs> that's probably very wise yep you have a big test tomorrow and you just you're, you've been studying and pouring all that information in and it just keeps rolling around in your brain doesn't it yep yep so we teachers we like to we like to invade even your sleep yep so <clears throat> the second one is and this is very important for you all to remember mama is still always smarter than you are okay mom is still always smarter Maybe wiser would be an equal word to smarter for some of us. But uh, the third quote was, the next book that you open should always be the Bible. Okay? Take that with you. Keep it with you because, you know, you got to keep God life-centered like what Tori told the graduates earlier. And the fourth quote is, no matter what question you have in life, God is the answer. OK, so remember to keep God as a center part of your life as you go forward, because um, he is the answer. And as we learn, as we're going up through Sunday school, God is an important guy, isn't he? Yep. And he's the answer to almost every question that a Sunday school teacher can ever ask or, or during children's chat. Right. Because you guys can answer God and he's the right answer to almost every question. All right, so to encourage us to continue to get smarter, I thought, before I, after we pray, you all need a pack of Smarties to take with you so that you will forever be smart. Okay? Is that a good idea? All right, let's pray. It's not the Smarties that make you smart? No, it's not. Oh, okay. You've had them before, and they didn't make you smarter? Okay. (laughs) All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today, and thank you for these graduates, whether it be from preschool or third grade or fifth grade or high school or even college. Be with them as they journey into the next phase of their lives. Help them to keep you in the center and to always turn to you in times of need and in times of gratefulness. In your name we pray. Amen.
4: Lost in our service in the last week, Lieutenant Kylie Church Ludwig, MD-27, from Wheaton, Illinois. As we remember tomorrow being Memorial Day, remember where it started in the United States. It was ordered by General John Logan in May of 1868 to decorate the graves of soldiers with flowers, a custom that was begun by the Greeks 2,000 years ago and the Romans and throughout history, but in the United States in 1868. On May 30th of 1868, a crowd of more than 5,000 gathered at the Arlington National Cemetery in Washington, D.C. for the first Decoration Day, now known as Memorial Day, exercises. Before strewing flowers upon the graves of the dead, the crowd listened to an address by James Abram Garfield, then an Ohio congressman who had served as a Union Major General during the Civil War. In the first of such annual addresses at Arlington National Cemetery and across the nation, Garfield set a standard by explaining what Decoration Day is all about and why it should be commemorated. Garfield was elected 20th President of the United States in 1880. He served just four months in office before being shot by an assassin on July 2nd of 1881. He lingered on for 80 days, dying at the age of 49 on September 19th, 1881. Following are excerpts from James Garfield's speech on May 30th of 1868, just three years after the conclusion of the Civil War. I am oppressed with a sense of the impropriety of uttering words on this occasion. If silence is ever golden, it must be here beside the graves of 15,000 men whose lives were more significant than speech and whose death was a poem, the music of which can never be sung. With words we make promises, plight, faith, praise, virtue, Promises may not be kept, plighted faith may be broken, and vaunted virtue be only the cunning mask of vice. We do not know one promise these men made, one pledge they gave, one word they spoke, but we do know they summed up and perfected by one supreme act the highest virtues of men and citizens. For love of country they accepted death, and thus resolved all doubts, and made immortal their patriotism and their virtue. For the noblest man that lives, there still remains a conflict. He must still withstand the assaults of time and fortune, must be assailed with temptations before which lofty natures have fallen. But with these the conflict ended. The victory was won when death stamped on them the great seal of heroic character and closed a record which years can never blot. And now consider this silent assembly of the dead. What does it represent? Nay, what does it not represent? It is the epitome of the war. Here are sheaves reaped in the harvest of death from every battlefield of Virginia. If each grave had a voice to tell us what its silent tenant last saw and heard on earth, we might stand with uncovered heads and hear the whole story of the war. We should hear that one perished when the first... Great drops of the crimson shower began to fall when the darkness of that first disaster at Manassas fell like an eclipse on the nation. That another died of disease while wearily waiting for winter to end. That this one fell on the field in sight of the spires of Richmond, little dreaming that the flag must be carried through three more years of blood before it should be planted in that citadel of treason and that one fell when the tide of war had swept us back till the roar of rebel guns shook the dome of yonder capital and re-echoed in the chambers of the executive mansion. We should hear mingled voices from the Rappahannock, the Rapidan, the Chickahonomy, and the James, solemn voices from the wilderness, and triumphant shouts from the Shenandoah, from Petersburg and from the Five Forks, mingled with the wild acclaim of victory and the sweet chorus of returning peace. The voices of these dead will forever fill the land like holy benedictions. What other spot for their last resting place as this under the shadow of the capital saved by their valor? Here where the grim edge of battle joined, Here were all the hope and fear and agony of their country centered. Let them rest, asleep on the nation's heart, entombed in the nation's love. Hither our children's children shall come to pay their tribute of grateful homage. For this are we met today, by the happy suggestion of a great society, Assemblies like this are gathering at this hour in every state of the Union. Thousands of soldiers are today turning aside in their march of life to visit the silent encampments of dead comrades who once fought by their side. From many thousand homes whose light was put out when a soldier fell, there go forth today to join those solemn processions, loving kindred and friends, from whose heart the shadow of grief will never be lifted till the light of the eternal world dawns upon them. And here are children, little children, to whom the war left no father but the father above. By the most sacred right, theirs is the chief place today. They come with garlands to crown their victor fathers. I will delay the coronation no longer.
2: As so we go to the Lord in prayer, we're reminded that of, of two things, uh, at least two things on Memorial Day weekend. One is the, the reality of war and, and the sacrifice that many have paid, uh, with their lives and in other various forms, uh, throughout our country's history and, and a sense of gratitude and thankfulness for them. Uh, but as Christians in particular, it's also a reminder that one day wars will cease. Uh, that we worship the God who is a, the Prince of Peace and we look forward to the day when we no longer have to hear stories of war and, uh, and violence in our world. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer with those two things in mind, a gratefulness and thankfulness for those who have paid that sacrifice and a, a forward-looking hope to the day when we no longer have to hear of wars or rumors of wars. Let's lift Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Memorial Day and the opportunity to remember those who laid down their lives for us in service to our country. We thank you and look forward to the day when, we will, when you will make all wars cease. You, Lord, are the Prince of Peace. As we remember those who have died, that we may live, accept our gratitude, and make us, we humbly ask you, more worthy of their ultimate sacrifice. We ask that you would give us grace to follow their example of steadfastness and faithfulness. Help us also follow more closely to the steps of your beloved son, Jesus Christ, that at last we may stand in your presence. And I also ask, Lord, that you would be with those uh, graduates this morning, prepare them for the future that you have in store, and guide their steps wherever you may lead them. And Lord, we also ask for your blessing and your Uh, provision in all areas of life, Lord. Those represented in our bulletin and those that we carry with us in the silence of our heart and mind. We ask for your healing, for your grace and your power to be made known in our lives and all of those things, Lord, according to your will and not our own. We pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to please stand and join with us as we sing number 427, Dear Lord and Father of Mankind. This offering today goes to support Shannon Rediger, and uh, she is just about finishing up her time down in Atlanta during uh, getting at the Adventures in Mission Training School. And so she'll be back with us here in a few weeks, and I'm sure she's looking forward to share with you uh, her appreciation and, and thankfulness for our support as a church, not only financially, but in prayers. And when she does get home, she'll have an opportunity to do that. But this offering will go and support her finishing up that time down in Atlanta. Invite those who are helping at the offering to come forward at this time.
5: When I'm in trouble
3: If you could remain standing for our scripture reading this morning it comes from Philippians chapter two, verses one through four. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit And of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of others.
2: Thank you. You may be seated. Father, we thank you so much for this time this morning. Uh, and We ask that as we open your word and turn to what you have to say to us in it, that you would give me words to speak and open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. This morning you heard from uh Tori as she addressed our, our graduates that were here with us this morning and, and she had a great bit of advice for them about keeping Christ at the center of everything they do and also trying to surround themselves as they enter this next stage of life with a uh surround themselves with a body of believers, friends that can encourage them in their walk with Christ and help them to continue to grow in faith, even as they maybe move away or begin and uh begin college or whatever God may have in store for them. And that is great advice, but it's not just for graduates, is it? It's for all of us as Christians. Those are two principles that we really uh, need to hold on to in order to continue to walk strongly with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need, first and foremost, to keep Christ at the center of everything we do, but we also need to surround ourselves with a body of believers that can help us to live that out the best that we can. As we close out our series today about why we worship, we're going to talk about why we worship together, right? Of course, it's possible to worship the Lord alone, isn't it? You know, we're called to have a a personal faith, one in which you know we can worship for the Lord when we're at home alone, when we when we open our Bibles and read it uh, as a devotional time, even as we're driving down the road in our car and listening to maybe Christian music or even the silence of the car offering up a prayer to the Lord. Those are all opportunities for us to worship and we can and should take those opportunities every chance we get. But that's not the extent of what it means to follow Christ. Those are good and important, but we're also meant to worship God together as one body, as one church here on Sunday mornings, but also thinking in terms of the global church as well as the body of believers in this world. You know, I think of our our radio ministry, which is such a blessing to our church and to the community. And, and, and I know I've shared this before, but the longer that I'm here and for, at First Church, the more important I realize that, that radio ministry is because there are many people that are members of this church or maybe just members of our community that are able to listen in on the radio and be a part of the church service when they physically can't be there themselves. And, and what a blessing and, and joy that that is. But really, there is no substitute for being physically present, though, with the body of believers, isn't there? There's something special that happens when we gather in one place to worship the Lord together. And I believe it's, it's the ministry of, of presence, being present with other people. It's a gift in and of itself. You know, we live in a very relationally disconnected world, don't we? We have, we have the world at our fingertips. We're connect, more connected to information and technology than we ever have before. But at the same time, we are disconnected to the people around us. Loneliness and depression are very real issues for many people. And I believe it's because we've been made to be in a relationship with God. And as we live disconnected lives, that that longing to be connected is, is going unmet. See, God is a relational God. He's created us in his image and part of that means to be in relationship with him and in and and, and extension be in relationship with other people. And so regular participation in worship and communication and community with other believers is really important, essential to following Christ. See, the church should be a place for people to belong. More than anything else, this is what drew me to Christ and, and drew me to church when I was a teenager. The, the fellowship and community that I found in, in my youth group at my church back home in New York is, is, what, is what made me want to be a part of it. It's, it made a huge difference in my life, and, it, and it's something I didn't realize I was missing until I realized I was missing it, till I ex- had experienced it for myself. The pastor I used to work with in Huntington uh, used to say that people come to church for all sorts of reasons, right? It can be an infinite number of reasons why people come to church, but but most people stay for one reason, and that's relationships. Again, relationship with the Lord, but also relationships with other people. It's like the glue that holds us together as as a church. And so today I want to talk about, you know, why they're so important, why relationships with other believers are so important, and also how we can maintain that unity within our church. And so what is the purpose of Christian relationships? They're, they're meant for two things, I believe. One is edification. They're called, we're called to be in relationship with other people and to worship together so that we can build each other up in Christ. The Hebrews passage that we heard read at the beginning of our service reminds us that we gather together in order to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We're called to, to encourage and equip each other to live out our faith. And, and when we're isolated and by ourselves, it's hard for us sometimes to do that, to keep on keeping on. But when we're surrounded by other people who can encourage us and equip us, it helps us to live for him the other six days of the week as well. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 reminds us, Paul tells the church, encourage one another and build one another up as you are already doing. So edification is an important part, but it's also about accountability, helping Christians stay on the right path, seeking God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Proverbs 27.17 says, Iron sharpens iron just as one person sharpens another. Think about that sharpening process is it's probably not too fun for the blade, is it? As you sharpen a, a knife or sharpen a, a sword or something like that, right? It's, it's, it's not probably an easy thing for that sword to experience, but it's important for it to serve its purpose and to remain sharp, right, so that it can, it can fulfill its purpose. In the same way, we're called to sharpen one another, and sometimes that means we've got to smooth off our rough edges, doesn't it? And we need sometimes other people to help us do that because we have blind spots in our own life, that we can't always see where we're falling short. And so we need the loving encouragement and edification of other people to help us stay on the right path. In Galatians chapter six, Paul encourages the believers. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Notice it says that if someone is caught in sin, you don't you don't Shove it in their face, right? You don't you don't sever ties with them. It says that you you gently restore that other person. And gently is a key word there. We are called to speak the truth, but we're called to speak it in love. You know, in a sense, there's there's different levels of Christian community, and we can see that modeled after Jesus and his life. There's there's the crowd, right? Jesus was always surrounded by a large crowd. Everywhere he went, people would gather to hear him speak and to, to spend time with him and to experience the miracles that he performed. In a sense, we're called to have that sort of Christian community with the crowd. And that's, in a sense, what we're doing here on Sunday mornings. We gather in one place to worship God and to hear from his word. And then there's, there's something uh, about just being a part of a group like this, being in a room filled with God's people that's just encouraging and and. and that's what we can experience when we gather together on Sunday mornings. But that's just one level. That's kind of the, the, the first level of Christian community. Uh, Jesus also surrounded himself with a smaller group of people, right? His 12 disciples. And there was a difference between the disciples and the crowd and that these people got to spend more time and got to know Jesus and Jesus got to know them in a much deeper and authentic way. Right, this is, in a sense, kind of like a small group setting where you can really get to know people at a deeper level. Right, For those of you who sit on this side of the sanctuary and those of you who sit on this side of the sanctuary, you don't get to interact a whole lot on Sunday mornings, right? But in a small group setting where, it's, where there's a, a smaller group of people gathered, it's much easier to get to know the people that are there and, and get to know them in a real way, not just, hey, how you doing, right? And so there's, there's, there's a level of community that's necessary there to continue to grow. And, and it's in those places that you can encourage one another with Bible study and prayer. But then Jesus had another level too. And within the 12, there was the three, Peter, James, and John. And these people had, in a sense, kind of special access to Jesus. And and it was those three that Jesus always brought along when something special was about to happen, when he went up on the mountain of transfiguration, when he raised the little girl from the dead. It was those three and those three alone who were there to witness and experience it. In a way, they were like his deepest, closest friends within the larger group setting. You know, we, I believe, are called as Christians to have those sorts of friendships as well. People that we can truly rely on and get to know. And I believe that's the place within a very small group that you can get accountability and where where you can be vulnerable with each other. Friends you can trust and, and trust to keep you on the right path so it's important to to recognize the the purpose of Christian relationships and how we can experience them. But it's also important to know how we maintain those relationships. And that's what this Philippians passage reminds us. And there's three things here that help us to maintain Christian unity. First is to remember our common connection with Christ. Second is to to strive towards, make unity a priority. And the third thing is to have humility in our own hearts. And so first, we need to remember that Christian unity, the fellowship that we can experience as believers, is based first and foremost in each of our individual relationships with Christ. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit in each believer that brings us together as a body. Right? The reason that we can gather in one place, despite our differences, is because the one thing that we have in common is greater than all of those other things. Right? Our common relationship with the Lord is what connects us and brings us together. And so that's why we need to need to keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is our relationship with Christ and the truth of the gospel. Keep focused on him and and him crucified and all those other things will work themselves out. Doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything, but we can learn to to set those differences aside for the purpose of coming together under that main purpose of worshiping Christ. We can set aside our political or economic or social differences, right? It's not that those things are unimportant, but it's that they aren't of first importance. A first importance is the gospel. So we can agree to disagree on a lot of things, both, both secular and also aspects of Christian theology, some of those minor points, as long as we can hold on to the good news of the gospel. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy one fifteen. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full importance, full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Right? If that's the mindset that we can keep as Christians, is, is that the gospel and our relationship with Christ is of first importance, uh, then, then the whole unity and fellowship thing will, find, will work itself out. And really, the love that we have for each other, the love that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ is an extension, and expression of the love that Christ has for us. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Notice, it's, it's as I have loved you, so you must love one another. We're called to love others with the same love that Christ has shown us. And when we do that, we will be of the same love, of one in spirit and one of mind. If my mind and my heart and everything within me is focused on Jesus and, and everything in you is focused on Jesus, then, it's, then we can learn to love one another despite whatever other differences that we have. And so our, our unity is, is, is founded in our common relationship with Christ. And it's a unity that we need to be intentional about. right? Paul says, if those things are true, if we have that common sharing of the Spirit, then we must make, it says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit and one of mine. Right? Being united, in other words, is, is both a gift and something that we are called to work towards together. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. right? It's a gift from the Spirit that He gives us, yet we as Believers need to work to maintain it, and there's ways that we can do that. There's there's things that we can do, be intentional about that can help us maintain Christian unity. And again, those things are hinted at in Hebrews chapter 10, which we read, which was read earlier for us. One is regular fellowship, right? The regular gathering of Christians to worship Him uh, is is really important. Uh, Uh, A couple generations ago, when when the Barna Institute began tracking what regular church attendance meant uh, and and the patterns that we see within our country, uh, they they originally defined regular church attendance as people who were in church and services one or two times a week. Now, when they do this study, they define regular church attendance as, as people who are gathered together for worship one or two times a month. It's a very big difference, right? Uh, and and we've, we've kind of maybe backed off on, on what we define as, as regular church attendance or, or stressing that. But, but really, regular fellowship, weekly gathering together of believers, is, is so important for us as Christians to encourage one another and, and hold each other accountable, as we talked about earlier. We can't do those things if we never are together. And we also need to build one another up, right? We can't, we can't encourage one another or be encouraged ourselves if we aren't here in the same room. And we're equipped here to then go out and make a kingdom impact. We're called to, to do love and good deeds, not just when we're gathered here, but, but we're gathered here so that we can go out into the world and do those things. And so we need to keep it a priority. If it's, if it's not a priority, it, it won't happen. And so we need to make gathering together a priority in our lives. And really, other people, gather, other people benefit from your presence here in this place. I really do believe that. When you're not here, your absence is felt. It's not just about what we gain from being here, but it's about what we're able to give when we're here as well. And so when you're not here, the people, I mean, let's be honest, right? We all sit in the same pew and the same, we come in the same door, right? Every Sunday, right? And we tend to see the same people because of that. And when you're not here, those people miss you. When you're not here, you're, they're missing out on, your, on what you bring to the table, and so it's not just about what you gain from, from gathering together to worship, but it's about what you are able to offer as well. Each one of us brings a unique gift, a unique personality, and no one can replace you. So finally, we're also called to maintain unity through humility by putting other people first. In order to foster authentic Christian community, we must distinguish between our personal preferences and essential gospel truth. You know things like the divinity of Christ, His atoning death on the cross, and His physical resurrection are those are non-negotiable things, right? Those are our truths that are center of our faith, and if we if we stray from those, we're, we're essentially strained from what it means to trust in God and believe in the gospel. But there's other things like the kind of music that we sing here at church, what people wear when they come to worship, whether or not you're allowed to bring coffee into the sanctuary, right? Those sorts of things are are our personal preferences. And those can be... Uh, the, the, excuse me, the problem with personal preferences, they're not bad, right? It's good to have personal preferences. We all do. The problem is when we elevate them to the level of essential gospel truth. That you're truly not a Christian if you don't like this kind of music. Or you're truly not following Christ if you wear those certain types of clothes to worship Him, right? Those are personal preference that we... Can elevate to the level of gospel truth. And when we do so, that's what creates divisions within the church. But let's look at it from the other perspective. Imagine a church where everyone strives to outdo one another, not to have their own personal preferences done or met, but so that others could experience theirs. You know, imagine the kind of community and fellowship that we'd experience if that were the case. I want to read one passage. For us in closing. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 8. This is a, a passage where Paul is talking about the issue of meat sacrificed to idols. And, and there was an issue within the Corinthian church about whether someone should participate or should eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And, and Paul goes on this explanation that, you know, it, it really isn't a big deal because idols aren't real, right? And so, so, so if it doesn't, uh, um, if it doesn't, if it's not against your conscience, then, then go ahead and do it. But, If it causes another person to stumble, then you should avoid it. And beginning verse 9, it says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all their knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and would wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, If what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. See, that's the kind of attitude that we all should have towards our our personal preferences when it comes to to worship or even things that are outside of of this church. right? If if what we do, we hold on to it so tightly that it's causing other people to stumble or causing other people to fall because of my my stubbornness or my commitment to my personal preferences, then we're doing a disservice to the church and to Christian unity. Now, again, that doesn't mean we, we let go of essential gospel truths. We need to hold on to those tightly. But when it comes to our personal preferences, we need to learn to, to let go of those things for the benefit of other people. Again, just imagine a kind, what, what a church would be like if everyone went out of their way to please and to see the other needs of other people met. I think that's the kind, of per- the kind of church we'd all want to be a part of. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have made us one in Christ. I thank you that through his death on the cross, his broken body, and his shed blood, you have brought us all into your family. I pray that we would all be able to know and experience that love and that you have for us and be able to share that love with others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and in closing, let's sing number 285, In Christ there is no east or west. may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.